Okay, so we are in, as Kathy said, week four, the call to abide. And we're continuing our journey through 1 John. We're looking at 1 John chapter 2, verses 18 through 29. And so when I was preparing for this passage, I did with mo- what most of you do. Um, Kathy and I were actually talking about it. When you see the passage, you read it more than once. And you read it in different translations, probably some of you do. And so I was reading it in different translations. And when I read it in the, mas- the message translation, I was struck by the wording. Did you read it in the message? Yeah. I was struck by the wording, especially in verse 28. So the first part of verse 28 in the message reads this. It says, and now children, stay with Christ. Live deeply in Christ. Live deeply in Christ. It was that part that struck me that I loved. That sounded like, to me, the perfect way to summarize our week's lesson. If we could only learn to live deeply in Christ, what would that feel like? What would that be like? So um, the image that came into mind, I'm a visual person, and the image that came into my mind was that of a free diver. Does anybody know what free diving is? Okay, yeah. So free diving is an extreme sport where a person dives into an ocean or a pool, but we're using the ocean, dives into the ocean and swims down as far as they can before resurfacing. It's an extreme sport because there are lots of risks associated with that. Diving down deep, you can, um, you know, uh, they don't go down with an oxygen tank. It's not scuba diving. It's swimming down without the use of any kind of air or oxygen provided for you. It's purely based on your own lung capacity and ability to hold your breath. And in other sports, many athletes will use adrenaline to like help them power through, to get through obstacles or to finish that last mile. But in free diving, they don't rely on adrenaline. The most successful free divers learn how to calm their body. They learn how to calm their mind so that when they're diving, they're able to conserve as much oxygen as possible so that they can go even deeper. And when you free dive, you have to push your body down. You have to literally swim down because your body wants to float. Your body wants to come to the surface. It's unnatural. Our bodies weren't meant to live and go into the depths of the sea. So these divers are pushing themselves down and they will sometimes use little weights to help them go down further faster. But most times they use um, what's called a guide rope. And this guide rope helps them as they go down, helping them achieve the depth that they want. And so the goal of free diving is literally just to see how far down you can go. And so you can look at this image that um, I have that'll show up on the screen. Um, This is what it looks like to free dive. So Netflix has this documentary called um, The Deepest Breath. And it follows two free divers, and it talks about their experiences, their um, joys, and even the tragedy that happens uh, to them. But this is the image that came into my mind when I thought of what it means to live deeply with Christ. 
So this random extreme sport is what I think of when I think about living deeply in Christ. Because I think following Christ, and this is going to sound cheesy, but whatever, but it's kind of its own extreme sport if you think about it. Following Christ, there's lots of inherent risks. There, um, it's not Following the way of Jesus is not safe. Living deeply with him is not easy. It's not even, if we're honest, it's not even natural all the time. Um, And it means that following him, we have to hold on to the guide rope that is the Holy Spirit so that we can descend, so that we can navigate the deep places of God. And so for those early Christians that John was writing to, they were facing lots of challenges, self-deception, internal strife, and in our section, the Antichrist. They had lots of things they were facing. And to combat those challenges, John encourages them to abide in Christ, to remain in Christ, to live deeply in Christ. And why? Well, I think it's because living deeply in Christ means avoiding false teaching, it means knowing what you believe, and it means practicing righteousness. So our goal today is to walk away with a better understanding of what it means to live deeply in Christ. And we're going to do that by walking through this passage and looking at these three key areas that John describes. Living deeply in Christ means first, avoiding false teaching. So in this passage, it's clear that something has happened within this community of new early church believers. Something has happened that has caused a split. There are the faithful followers of Jesus on this side, and there are the ones who went out from them, the ones who left, the ones who are now preaching a gospel that is contrary to what they first heard. And um, we'll see in just a minute that John even adopts what the scholar Hall Harris calls we, they language. So we'll see it in the passage, but basically he's talking about we, those early Christians that are still part of the, the community, and they, the ones who have gone out, that are trying to influence these Christians, to pull them away, to entice them out of the community. So John issues them a warning and tries to convince them to stay in the community, to not listen to these false teachers. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and open it to uh, 1 John chapter 2, and we're going to start in verse 18. I'm going to take a sip to hold my voice. Okay, so it says, um, starting in verse 18, children, it is the last hour. As you have heard that Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. By this we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us. They did not belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. However, they went out so that it might be clear, so that it might be made clear that none of them belonged to us. So John calls these false teachers the Antichrist. He says the Antichrist is coming. Even now, many Antichrists have come. 
So we can't like just gloss over the word antichrist. I have to pause because we have to talk about the antichrist for a second. Um, remember last time I was here, I told you when I was growing up, I was afraid of Freddy Krueger. Well, as a church kid, I was also afraid of the antichrist because when you hear the antichrist growing up, it, it, it's kind of like cloaked in this like mystery. Who is the antichrist? The antichrist is going to like pop out and like grab you or something like that's kind of how I grew up envisioning it. So then coming to this passage, I'm like, oh no, the antichrist again. But I want you to see that there's a real practical understanding to the antichrist in this passage. It's not um, for us to like try to identify him. In fact, as I was doing some research, having some fun with it, I uh, looked up Rose Publishing has like 14 different antichrists that have been identified throughout time. And um, these are just a few. Nero, Hitler, Barney, the purple dinosaur. I know, Barney's on there. And um, the World Wide Web. So, yeah. And we could probably debate for long hours about who the Antichrist is or who the Antichrist isn't. And, um, but I want you to know that John takes it seriously. It's not a joke. And he tells us exactly who the Antichrist is. So if you look at verse 22, he says this. He says, who is the liar if not the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ. This one is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. So who is the Antichrist? The one who denies that Jesus is the Messiah. False teachers that would have us believe that Jesus was maybe just a great teacher maybe just, you know, a great prophet, maybe someone who's got some like feel good messages for us, but doesn't have any real power, doesn't have any real authority. And if you deny the son, you also deny the father because they are one. We cannot have the father without the son. We know the father and we're reconciled back to the father through the son. So if Jesus is not the Messiah, then we are not reconciled back to the father. And so then we are truly lost. So John says, children, it is the last hour. And the last hour could be literal. It could be figurative. I also don't know. I don't know what John was thinking in his time. But either way, he is telling them, wake up and pay attention. The Antichrist is coming. Even now, they exist among us. These false teachers are out there. And these are people you know. People who were a part of our community and they left, they went out on their own. No one made them leave. They weren't, we didn't kick them out. They left on their own because they could not be a part of this community anymore because they didn't believe the same things. So they left. And so when they left, they now want to influence those who are still there to be a part of the community. So these are the Antichrists. And despite what our Christian pop culture has told us about trying to figure out the Antichrist and whose name adds up to 666, there are actual people out there in our world who deny Christ, who deny his power, who deny his deity, who deny that he is the Messiah. So there might be one Antichrist that comes in the future. Again, I don't know, but we do know that they're here now and that they will be here from now until Jesus comes again. 
So we need to be aware and we need to pay attention so that we can recognize when someone is saying something about Jesus that isn't true. And John wanted the same thing for these early believers. He wanted them to take it seriously, especially since these former believers were part of the community. They're people that they knew. So now they have this relationship with these early believers. And so they're coming directly to them and kind of questioning what they believe so that they can pull them out of the community. And so avoiding false teaching is not something just for these early Christians to be aware of. It's something for us today to be aware of as well. It happens in our church communities even now where there's maybe a few people or maybe a lot of people who, you know, begin to believe differently. You know, they they start to think, well, you know, I don't know if I can follow Jesus anymore. I don't know if I really believe that he died for my sins. I don't know if I really believe that he's powerful or that he can um, do the things that he said. I don't know if I really believe that anymore. And so they go out from us because they no longer believe. But because they're in relationship with you, they come to you and they say, but do you really believe in Jesus still? Like, do you really think that he can help you? Do you really think he's listening to you? Do you really think that he's that powerful You know, now I go to this universalist church, or now I'm on this path of enlightenment. And really, this is easier. And this this feels better. It's not as risky. It's not as hard. And so then you might all of a sudden become enticed, and you're like, well, maybe that does sound good. Maybe that does sound less risky. And you might consider following them. So then John reminds these early believers of what they first believed. He says, remember what you know. He says, remember what you first heard, what you were taught, and who who brought you here. So living deeply in Christ means, first, avoiding false teaching, and then second, knowing what you believe. So in verse 20, John says, but you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. I have not written to you because you don't know the truth, but because you do know it and because no lie comes from the truth. And then if you skip down a little bit further to verse 24, it says, what you have heard from the beginning is to remain in you. If what you have heard from the beginning remains in you, then you will remain in the son and in the father. And this is the promise that he himself made to us eternal life. I have written these things to you concerning those who are trying to deceive you. As for you, the anointing you received from him remains in you, and you don't need anyone to teach you. Instead, his anointing teaches you about all things and is true and is not a lie, just as it has taught you remain in him. So first, John talks about the anointing. You have this anointing that you have received. And the anointing is referring to uh, the Holy Spirit, the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Back when the Holy Spirit descended on the people, anointing them, the helper has come. He's saying, remember, you have a helper that is there, that is helping you to fight against these false teachers. So you have this anointing and you have knowledge. You have both these things. And so they know the truth. 
And that's why John is writing to them, to remind them of what they already know. He wants them to remember what is true, to remember what they heard from the beginning. He wants it to remain in them, to abide in them, to live deeply in him. So what was it that they heard from the beginning? Doesn't that sound familiar? Do you guys remember what we heard from the beginning? Remember when I was here um, a couple weeks ago in First uh, John chapter 1, if you'll flip back over to that, look at verse 1 and 2 with me. It says, what was from the beginning? What we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have observed and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. That life was revealed and we have seen it and we testify and declare to you the eternal life that was with the Father and was revealed to us. So what was it that they heard from the beginning? What is John talking about now? He's saying, remember Jesus. Jesus is what you've heard from the beginning. The revelation of who he is, your experience with Jesus, the truth of him, how he changed everything, what he did. That is what you need to believe and to remember. What you have heard from the beginning must remain in you. And if what you heard from the beginning remains in you, then you remain in the son. And by virtue, you remain in the father because of that reconcil- the reconciling that Jesus did. And therefore, you have eternal life. You have an eternal relationship with the father through the son. So now you can live deeply in him forever but you have to know what you believe. So also last time I told you guys about my first seminary um, class that I took. Well, in that class, um, my first seminary professor used to tell us all the time, he said, know what you believe and speak about it well. And he would emphasize that first part, know what you believe. And he would say it often to us because it's so easy for us to forget right? Kathy and I were talking about that as well, about how forgetful we are, that we can know what we believe, but then we hear something else that sounds kind of good, or someone else begins talking, and we forget what we believe. We start listening to those false teachers. We start adding things on to our faith that shouldn't belong there, and so my professor and John want us to have an understanding of who Jesus is and what he did And not just what he did, but what that means for us. So we're going to know what we believe, and we're going to live deeply in Christ so that we can know him deeply. So who is Jesus? Well, he's the Savior of the world. He's both fully God and fully man. He is the propitiation. You guys remember that word from a few weeks ago? He satisfied the wrath of God. And he took on our sin. He came down and he walked among us. What did he do? He gave sight to the blind. He raised the dead. He drove out demons. He went to the cross on our behalf so that he could reconcile us back to God. And then what does that mean for us? Well, it changes our lives. We can have communion with the Father. Everything is different. It means that we can live deeply with him. Our relationship is restored and we can come before the Lord without fear. We are part of a new community of believers worshiping him together, living just like he did or trying to live like he did. 
So we need to know what we believe. And so I want you to think about what you are believing. Do you believe that Jesus is enough? Do you think that there is maybe something else you need to add on? Maybe it doesn't feel like believing in him is enough. And so you need to add something on to make your salvation stick. Do you believe that you need Jesus and something else to make you happy or content? Do you believe that Jesus is better than all the stuff that we can acquire, all the self-medicating devices, better and more powerful than any crystals or astrological signs? You know, my daughter, um, at the book fair, this reminded me, last year at the book fair, um, when, when we get the books for the book fair, they come from Scholastic. So they send everything. They're not filtering out for a church. So she saw this Babysitter's Club book, and I was like, yeah, sure. You know, I read the Babysitter's Club when I was her age. So she grabbed it, and on the way home, she starts asking me these questions. And she's like, Mom, there's a lot of stuff in here about witches, and there's a lot of stuff in here about magic, and there's a lot of stuff in here, just things that she was really confused about. And so we sat and we talked about it. And we talked about the things in that book that were not true, that witches don't have any power. They don't have any power. Jesus is the one who is powerful, who can do all things. And you can't cast a spell on anyone to change anything. And so even for her at her age, she had this book that I wouldn't say, I'm not going to go so far as to say this book is a false teacher, but it's something that for her, was going to be something that could immediately um, create a little lie in her head that, well, I need Jesus and maybe a witch or Jesus and maybe a spell to get the things that I want. And so I'm like, no, no. The truth is you only need Jesus because Jesus is the only one who is powerful, the only one who can do anything. And so it's very important for us to know what we believe because it can lead us down a path where we begin listening to things that just sound good, that appeal to our desires, things that either elevate ourselves or elevate our needs that might cause us to ignore what we first heard from the beginning and listen to others. So knowing what we believe helps us avoid false teachers and live deeply in Christ. And then finally, living deeply in Christ means avoiding false teaching, knowing what you believe, and practicing righteousness. So John ends this section in verse 28 with some words of encouragement for these early followers. He says, I have written these things to you concerning those who are trying to deceive you. As for you, The anointing you received from him remains in you. And you don't need anyone to teach you. Instead, oops, I'm sorry, I'm reading the wrong verse. 28. (laughs) So now, little children, remain in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know this as well. Everyone who does what is right... Where's the rest of my passion? Has been born of him. Yes. <laughs> Sorry, I'm having issues, y'all. I just got this Bible, and I love it, but it's set up differently than mine. So everyone who does what is right has been born of him. So in this section, John says, remain in him so that when he appears, 
when Jesus returns, we may have boldness and not be ashamed. And so he's not saying um, boldness in the sense that we're going to be prideful and boastful when Jesus comes. Like, look at me, look at all the things that I did. No, he's saying that um, if we remain in him and live deeply in him, then when he returns, we will be um, excited. We will be joy-filled because we know that our Savior is coming back again. And so he says that um, because we have made our home in him, we have avoided falsehood. We have held on to what we believe. We have imitated him. We can live deeply in him and not be ashamed when he returns. Because John says that if we know that he, being Jesus, is righteous, then everyone who does what is right has been born of him. So what does it mean to do what is right? Well, I think it means doing what Jesus did, doing our best to follow his words, to do what he says, to love God and to love others, to forgive others, to make space for others to welcome in the stranger, to spread his message of good news to those around us. Our righteousness, our behavior, our desire to live rightly points back to Jesus. It's a reflection of who Jesus is. The other day I was chatting with um, uh, one of the, the coworkers that works with me with young adults, and we were getting some feedback from Jared on an upcoming young adult series. And as we were talking, uh, Jared was offering his in- input, and he said this comment just kind of to the side, but he talked about how we are Christ's representatives. He says, we represent Christ. And I was like, yes, of course. And he said, we represent Christ to others. And it was that little change in the word represent that I was like, oh, yeah, we represent Christ to others all the time. Practicing righteousness means representing Christ in the way that we live, the way that we talk, the way that we show up at our jobs, the way that we show up with our families, the way that we show up on social media, the way that we behave around others, the way that we treat the foreigner the way that we treat the widow, the way that we treat orphans. We follow Christ's example by doing what he did, by reflecting him as much as we can. And if we are living deeply in Christ, then we can reflect him even more clearly to those around us. So let's be women who dive deep. Let's be women who dive deep into the depths of our relationship with Jesus through studying his word, avoiding false teaching, holding on to that guide rope that is the Holy Spirit who gives us discernment about all things, who guides us, who helps us avoid um, the teaching that would distract us or lead us away from Jesus. Living deeply in Christ means avoiding false teaching, knowing what you believe, and practicing righteousness. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, Lord, I praise you for um, allowing me the voice to speak. God, you are faithful, and I just thank you so much. God, what a privilege it is to be able to even teach in front of these women who are so faithful to studying your word. 
God, I thank you that we are in a community of believers who are pursuing you, who want to live deeply. May you continue to show us how to dive deep into you. May we immerse ourselves in your word. May we immerse ourselves in Christian community where we can um, be shaped and formed together. May you uh, prepare us and equip us when we go out into the world so that we may reflect you and represent you to a world that does not know you. And may we represent you in a way that is loving, that welcomes people in, that, um, that allows them to see who you are so that you might give them new life. I pray this in your son's name. Amen. Okay, so free diving may not be the image that you get when you think about living deeply in Christ. But I do want you to think about what is the image that I think about when I hear the words live deeply in Christ? What does it mean for you to live deeply in Christ? So think about that as you continue throughout your day. Thank y'all.